the thing that excites me most about additive manufacturing is you can build anything you can think of. Anything you can design and put into a computer, you can manufacture. That really bodes well for the future because so often in the past with traditional forms of manufacturing, you can design it, you can optimize it, but you can't build it. You have to rely on processes that have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years that are suboptimal, that don't end up with a, a, a really good optimal outcome uh, and are actually quite wasteful. Hello everyone, I'm Barbara Humpton, CEO of Siemens USA, and thanks for listening to the Optimistic Outlook podcast. You've heard me discuss in recent episodes our support for a national approach to infrastructure that goes well beyond roads and bridges. And in this episode, we're going to show why we think a key area of focus right now needs to be American manufacturing. We don't always associate American manufacturing with the work to modernize the nation's infrastructure, yet the pandemic and its associated shortages have changed that by revealing the need for localization. What we mean by that are strong local supply chains that provide multiple sources of critical supplies. And in addition, we mean that capability to rapidly produce the things we need when and where we need them at scale, which is only possible if manufacturers are using the latest software, the most advanced automation systems, and if they're embracing what we call additive manufacturing. But what is additive manufacturing? Our guest today, Brian Neff, will help us answer the question. He's the CEO of Syntavia, a Florida-based state-of-the-art additive manufacturing company he founded in 2015. And they're designing and 3D printing a new generation of flight and launch components for the aerospace, defense, and space industries. Now, I'll tell you, Centavia is a customer of Siemens. We're proud they're using our software. And I also want to disclose that I serve on the board of directors of Triumph Group, a tier three aerospace supplier. I promise you that additive manufacturing won't sound like another buzzword after you hear this episode. Brian's really going to help you see the possibilities and why additive is the future. Take a listen. Brian Neff, welcome to the podcast. I was able to watch a TED talk you gave and we'll link to it in our show notes. And I think you're a fitting guest for this podcast because your very first line in that talk was, I'm an optimist. So I thought in this episode, we'd explore what fuels your optimism. This idea that additive manufacturing completely changes the game for how we design and make things. Now, not all of our listeners have heard of additive manufacturing, but I'm sure everyone listening has heard of 3D printing. And that's basically what additive manufacturing is, right? Help us understand the terminology and tell us a little bit about the process. Well, Barbara, thank you very much for having me on your podcast to talk about something that I love to talk about, additive manufacturing. Additive manufacturing is exactly that. It's the manufacturing technology by which material is added to form a final or near final part. That is in contrast with traditional manufacturing, which is a more of a subtractive process where you start with a large uh, piece of a material and you whittle it down into a, a final shape or final form. From a practical standpoint, the way that we, we, we additively manufacture is very similar to, to a, a print job, printing. Uh, we will take a, 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 a design or, or copy of a three-dimensional object and we will take that object and we will slice it into really, really thin slices, which can then be printed uh, or, or manufactured in a layer by layer sense. 
The benefits of additive manufacturing are, are, pretty, are pretty tremendous. Uh, the first, as I said, is it, it is not a subtractive form of manufacturing. So you don't have as much waste uh, as you would if you started with a big block of some material and you whittled it down to a much smaller part and you have all of this waste that's, that's sort of sitting around that has to be disposed of. Um, at the same time, it's a much faster process. Uh, you can go from a raw material to a final finished product very, very quickly. The thing that excites me most about additive manufacturing is you can build anything you can think of. Anything you can design and put into a computer, you can manufacture. Uh, and to me, that, that really bodes well for the future because so often in the past with traditional forms of manufacturing, you, you can design it, you can optimize it, but you can't build it. You have to rely on processes that have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years that are suboptimal, that don't end up with a, a, a really good optimal outcome uh, and are actually quite wasteful. Yeah, I remember hearing about the whole discipline around, around design for manufacturability. And what you're saying is this process really turns that on its head. And my understanding is that the ability to 3D print products isn't exactly brand new. It's been around since the 1980s. But what makes 3D printing more valuable today and more viable is the ability to incorporate incredibly sophisticated engineering software. Am I getting that right? Absolutely, that, that is absolutely spot on. I think it was, if not the late 1970s, but certainly the early 1980s, people came up with the idea of additive manufacturing, of using either a laser or a stylus to, to slice a, a component into little thin slices and, and build it from, from the ground up. But back then they didn't have the computing power, they didn't have the, the engineering software that allowed them to make those slices really, really thin. So you can imagine trying to make a precision part where each layer of material that you're building is, is a millimeter or two thick. It, it wouldn't, wouldn't look very precise. Uh, what we have now is the ability to, to take any sort of three-dimensional object that can fit in a printer, and some of these printers are quite large, and, and slice it down into 20 or 30 micron layers. So now you're dealing with, instead of millimeters, you're dealing with hundreds of millimeters. And that results in a much, much more precise much more mechanically sound and part. Uh, and so th this, this is totally enabled by stronger computers and better uh, engineering and design software. Okay, so we understand the process now. How did you decide to take this approach? What was your aha moment? Well, I'm a third generation aviation person. My dad, my grandfather were all in aviation for, and we've been in, in it for a long time. And so I grew up with uh, the knowledge of what it took to put a part on an aircraft. Uh, my, my grandfather was a vice president of maintenance at TWA, and my dad was in maintenance in, in a couple roles in a number of different airlines. And I know that, that a, a piece of metal that may be three or four inches long and an inch wide may be worth $15,000. And it's worth that not so much because uh, of the metal or even the design, but really the, the quality certification that goes into that part. Aerospace manufacturing is the most difficult kind of manufacturing that, that you can do because there is zero room for error. There is, there, you cannot have a defect. There are no discrepancies that can be green lit uh, because it's, there's too much at stake. So I grew up with that as my background and I um, owned a, a jet engine um, repair facility for a number of years. And about 10 years ago, I, I went over to Germany to visit a, a, a competitor over there called MTU. And I was on the tour with, with the tour guide and we're walking around uh, this facility, which is outside of Munich. And 
at the very end of the tour, the guide said to me, hey, hey, come into this room. Now, this was in December of 2011. And he said, I want to show you something that, that you've probably not seen. And I walked in and there were a couple of these, these sort of large machines, maybe 10 feet by five feet. And it looked like like a like an old-fashioned copy machine, like in my high school, with with that someone had stuck a, a microwave right in the middle of it. And he said, "Come over here." And he walked over to what looked like the microwave door, and, and he and he said, "Look in here." And I looked inside, and I got to see the the for the first time additive manufacturing for for aerospace, which involves a laser melting consecutive layers of powder uh, on a platform that's slowly descending. So you're basically it's almost like a freeform welding concept. And, and he showed me some of the parts that they were building at the time. And I said, holy cow, if you can use, if you can use this to basically freeform weld or freeform manufacture any part, this is going to absolutely revolutionize the aerospace industry. And I, I Brian Neff, want to devote the rest of my career to industrializing this technology for uh, the aerospace industry. Wow, goosebumps. I, I love that idea that seeing something that is truly transformative. I, I'd like to explore a concept I've been thinking about that additive manufacturing isn't just a faster, more cost-effective, more environmentally friendly way to make things that already exist. This is actually an opportunity to reinvent and optimize just about everything. I mean, it gives us the tools we need to shape the future. And I'm sure you have some good examples of how you're already doing this at Centavia. Taking a fresh look at the countless different component parts that go into an aircraft, what have you discovered so far? Well, what I've discovered is that there is a lot, we can do a lot better. I think that the way that uh, an aircraft looks right now is in many ways defined by traditional manufacturing methods. Um, in aircraft, weight is important, weight is critical. Uh, you save weight, you save fuel, you reduce carbon dioxide emissions. It's, it's really, you know, the lower, rate, lower weight is the goal. And a lot of the parts on existing aircraft are not optimized for weight because they can't be optimized for weight because they're, they're stuck in a, in a casting or forging or sheet metal traditional environment that, that, that involves aspects of that part that, that exist only because that's, they're, they're needed in the support of the traditional manufacturing process. So in order to demonstrate this, we decided to do an experiment when we started really, really getting going at Centavia. We, at the, uh, on a 767 aircraft, there are two engines. And at the back of each of those engines, there's a, a little bracket. There's actually 12 on each engine that is about an inch and a half long by a half an inch wide. And in the history of humanity, no one's ever really looked at this bracket. But it doesn't rotate. It's on the outside of the engine. Um, and looking at it, I, I, we, we said this, this part is suboptimal. It, it had right angles. It had wall thickness that it didn't need. It was basically just supporting uh, a, a, a fuel manifold. So again, it was a very innocuous part. But actually, that benefited the, the, the design of experiment that we were trying to do. So we took this part, and we 3D scanned it. So we got a, a, a CAD file for it. And we said, where can we take weight out here? How can we take this innocuous little part that no one's ever looked at and demonstrate that even in a little innocuous part, you can, you can save weight. And so we found about 20% uh, of the, the, the weight of this part we were able to, to take out. We were able to redesign it using a, a simulation software. So it looked very much like an organic structure. And that's one thing I've always been very interested in is you don't see a lot of right angles in, in nature. 
things are sort of are, are organic because that's just the, the best way to support them. And, and, you know, a spider web, a tree, all of these things. Um, and I think that, that that additive allows for that sort of, of, of redesign. And, and in this case, when we, were, when we optimized this little bracket, it looked like a, a very organic grown component. And we measured it. And as I said, we took out about 20% of the weight, which was probably 30 grams or about an ounce. Uh, and then we wanted to say, okay, we're, we're, we're lightweighting this part. Is this going to perform like the traditional part? So we took the traditional part, we took the, the lighter, the, the, the optimized part, and we put it in a fatigue tester and we, and, we, and we basically ran it until it failed. And our optimized part was 50% more durable than the sub-optimized part. And we were, we were blown away by that. And then we said, okay, well, what does this really mean? So this one little, one little part has 30 grams less or one ounce less uh, weight. What does that mean from an emission standpoint? And looking across an entire fleet of aircraft on, some, on a large airline, uh, it's probably around 600 or so aircraft on, on average. That, that 30 grams, Airbus actually did a study to, to demonstrate how, how important weight savings is to, to aircraft. They said one kilogram of uh, weight reduction uh, across a fleet of 600 aircraft uh, will result in 24,000 gallons of fuel being saved per year, which equates to 250 tons of, uh, of, of carbon dioxide emissions. So that little part, even taking one ounce out of one little part across a fleet of 600, uh, 600 aircraft results in 720 gallons of fuel being saved per year. It's, it's, pretty, it's a pretty remarkable thing. And, and it's 100% enabled by additive manufacturing. Yeah, so this one little part that you did this on, and how many parts would you say are in an aircraft, Brian? Oh, there are tens of thousands of parts. I think that, and, and again, you know, you, you, you can see across, for example, I, I, the, the example that I always give is um, the, the seats, the, the way that they attach into an aircraft. I can guarantee you that hasn't been looked at in 50 years. And that is not optimized. It's not optimized for even for safety. It's just basically an old, you know, bracket that holds the seat in place. Um, the, 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 the carts, people have been on pl planes, they know carts. These are things that, that certainly can be optimized for weight. Uh, landing gears can be optimized for weight. And as long as you can demonstrate repeatedly uh, that you are, you are meeting the safety criteria, which, which we can do, there's no reason why you wouldn't you wouldn't take that weight out and try to save and try to save weight in, in your in your flight. This is what's really inspiring about what you're doing with additive manufacturing, Brian. You're showing us that it's now possible to build anything we can see on a computer screen and think about the potential for aviation. I'll share that at Siemens, we innovated an electric motor for aviation, improved its capability using the same tools that you're talking about. We then sold that capability to Rolls-Royce so that they can bring it to full use in the aviation industry. We don't have an airworthiness certification process here in the work we do, but they do. And now our software is also being used to advance a new generation of supersonic aircraft, meaning flights traveling faster than the speed of sound. So, wow, if I predicted that we seem to be gaining the capabilities both to decarbonize aviation while reducing a flight from New York to London to just a few hours, I'm guessing a lot of people would say that sounds pretty pie in the sky. But I think you'd agree with me that this is actually where we're headed. Am I right? You're absolutely right. Aviation and aerospace is at the leading edge of the adoption of, of additive because 
it just it just makes so much sense specifically within the propulsion system. So we, we spoke a little bit of, of lightweighting existing parts on existing aircraft. And that's a very, very good use of additive as a technology for aerospace. But the best use of additive is in a completely redesign of the entire aircraft and, and the power plants on that aircraft. And that's occurring right now. It's occurring across a number of different, uh, very, very exciting demand verticals. I would say in my lifetime, when you think about air travel, it's pretty much been the same. You, you get in the car, you go to an airport, you get on a plane, it flies from point A to point B uh, at about 450 miles an hour, burning uh, kerosene, which, which is basically what jet A fuel is. That is not the way it's gonna be at the end of this decade. There are so many exciting new kinds of, of, of air travel uh, uh, in, innovations that are occurring right now. So you mentioned, you mentioned supersonic flight. That's, that's, that's phenomenal. The, the idea that you could go, I mean, but a, but a commercially viable supersonic flight from LA to, to London in, in, in three hours. And that's enabled, those propulsion systems, those engines are absolutely printed. That, that is a, a way to manufacture them more cost-effectively, more optimally, more safely. Um, that, that, that is enabled by additive manufacturing. But then you have the, the new space people that are saying, well, you know, three hours from Los Angeles to London, yeah, that's great, but how about if we do it in 36 minutes by going up into low Earth orbit and coming back down? And all of those engines, those rocket engines, are being enabled via uh, additive manufacturing. Then you go look at Europe and you say, Europe is in the process of outlawing short haul flights. I would imagine the next few years you will, see, you will not be able to fly from Paris to Amsterdam or something like that. And so that is an existential threat to some of the smaller plane manufacturers out there like Bombardier or ATR. They're taking the lead and adopting a way to, to uh, uh, electrify or to, to create a commercially, um, commercial electric uh, uh, aircraft. And so that, those engines are, are enabled by additive manufacturing. The only way you can get the power density high enough on an electric motor is by printing it. So in all of these different areas, you're, you're seeing incredible innovations. The, the uh, electric vertical takeoff and landing people, the EVTOL people. I'm a big believer in this area too. So that's basically unmanned large drone aircraft that can move people around from one, one in a very short area. So think of like a replace of your, your commute or say you live in the suburbs, you want to go to the city, that sort of thing. That is also enabled through, by additive manufacturing because you cannot build engines traditionally that, that are as, as lightweight and as efficient uh, as you can with, with, with additive manufacturing. So I am, I am th th this decade kind of got, got off on the, the wrong foot, but I am so optimistic about the nature of, of air travel uh, being totally redefined by the end of this decade. And again, that's enabled by additive and additive, as you said, is enabled by better data management, better, better, better software uh, and, uh, and better hardware. And I will say, I will, will tell you about Siemens is that the approach that you guys are taking on an end-to-end -end suite is, is, is so welcome by the industry. We, we existed for years after, after Centavia really started operating as a standalone in 2015 with, with these, these, these differentiated verticals in terms of software. So you would have to export, import, export, import from one to the other to the other. And it was inefficient. They didn't talk to each other. It was prone to human error. But taking a front-to-back approach is really the right way to do it because the simpler you can make that aspect, the, the, the more opportunities exist to, to 
innovate and to redefine what you're printing. And that, that's 100% related to the success that we're seeing in the, in the last year or two. Yeah, I like to say that we that manufacturing of tomorrow will rely on the digital thread. And right now, our trick is that we've got a lot of digital lint <laughs> that we need to connect. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Hey, on, on the next episode of this podcast, we're going to delve into workforce development and why we have a record number of open manufacturing jobs today, more than 700,000 nationwide. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your workforce. So first, how does additive manufacturing um, require different skills? sets? Or are there different skill sets required than in traditional manufacturing? Well, for, for aerospace manufacturing via additive manufacturing, I would say that it's a, it's, there's the old meets the new. We always talk about the Jetsons meeting the Flintstones. Um, because yeah, on, on the front end, you're, you're designing and you're, you're printing a, a part that is, that is new and it's dynamic and it's, it's never been done before. But on the back end, the people that are doing the surfacing of the fin surface finishing the, the, the quality inspection, um, the paperwork that's, that supports the manufacturing process, that's a very, very traditional process. Um, and so I'd say that we, we're, we're very much a, a hybrid of uh, very, very new and the traditional uh, certification process. On the new side, I always say to my, my new hires, I, I, you know, I say, do you, do, you, do you like video games? Do you like motors? And they almost all say yes. And I really do think that, that that way of thinking and the way of, of looking at three-dimensional objects via a two-dimensional screen, and, and whether it be a video game or just doing some other sort of design work, that's really, really important. And so we, we have people that are degreed engineers that started as, as uh, uh, shop floor technicians and worked their way into the engineering department. And, and we have the ones that we hire, the engineers we hire that are just um, either out of college and have to be trained here it's it's very very um, it's very very much a a an old meets new mentality, uh, and I think it's really really exciting because when I look at the the engineers that are out there, I look at, at my children and how they look at objects and in, in, in three dimensions and how they can spin them around and they can look at them. You absolutely have to do that because that is how you you're going to end up with the file that you're going to print. Hey, I also want to ask you this. What do you think is holding back the adoption of additive manufacturing across the U.S. today? Well, we get sort of caught up in the, the idea of what additive manufacturing is. I always say the best and worst things to ever happen to 3D printing were the Star Trek replicator of the, in the old days. Because that, that really grabs your imagination. And that really, when, when, you, when you hear about that, you say, this is amazing. When can I or order my Earl Grey tea hot? And yes, it is an amazing, transformative, dynamic technology, but it's not, you, you, you don't go from zero to incredibly uh, complex multi-material designs and, and manufacturing overnight. It is still an iterative process to some degree. I think what is, what's happened within the last couple of years uh, within aviation has really been what's driving this forward. Uh, and I think, so I, I can speak only now for aviation, but we have a better way of doing something. But the old way of doing it wasn't bad. It wasn't broken. The supply chain traditionally pre-2020 for commercial aerospace was okay. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. Then 2020 happened. And now there, the, that existing supply chain has been completely broken. And we are seeing, and I'm very happy to see this because, again, I'm in this industry, 
that demand is, is, is really picking up. And it really has been this month. I don't know, Barbara, if you've, you've been watching a lot of that stuff, but all those 737s that have been sitting on the ground are, are, are gone or, or effectively gone. Um, and, it's, and it's great to see that. It's great to see that the, the travel is picked up again. International travel is still depressed, but domestics picked up. Uh, and the OEMs and the engine manufacturers are saying, holy cow, I need to get my supply chain going again. And the supply chain, and, and as the further you get down the tier on the supply chain, generally the harder hit your suppliers are, they're, they're, they're just not able to support that. So whereas before you had a supply chain that was, that was pretty good, it was okay. Now it's, it's a mess. And so they're turning to, to us as an additive manufacturer and saying, I, I don't, the, the casting company, they don't have the tooling to build this for another 18 months. I need it in six weeks. Can you print it for me? And, and then I'll give you the order behind it. So that's, that's really what's, what's driving, it, driving it forward. But I think that overall, it just takes a little time. It takes a, a sort of a gradual uh, transition into this technology. The acceptance is there. The acceptance in key industries is there. Uh, I think you see a lot of action activity right now on um, maybe lowering the cost curve on some level for, for additive. There are certain technologies out there that are, that are less expensive than others for, for 3D printing. And you're seeing a, a push into, into those areas. Uh, and so it, it, is, it is definitely coming. I, I, I've been asking myself since 2015, you know, is this going to be the year? Is this going to be the year? Is this the year that we're going to see it? And this, this, is, this is the year. This is, this is what I'm seeing. And, and it's a function of a lot of different things. I haven't spoken that much about the sustainability aspect of it, but that's a, that's a very, very big driver for, for building something that's newer, something that's better than what we've done in the past. Additive is an enabler of that. And so you're seeing consumers saying, I want a more sustainable option. That's going to drive people into additive as well. Um, you, you, you know, the, the, the flying that I mentioned, you know, the different ways of getting from point A to point B, that's driving people. People want that. Consumers want that. Um, and so the, the companies that design those vehicles are, are, are turning to additive as a solution. So what you're describing could actually transform the aerospace industry's supply chain. How do you see it? Well, it certainly simplifies the supply chain. You don't have works in process that are moving between a plant to getting finished to going to this other place across the country, potentially across the world. The only things that you really need from a supply chain perspective, at least for additive, are raw material and data. And data, the supply chain is pretty instantaneous. And so I think that you see a lot of efficiencies. Right now, I, I would view the supply chain generally as being suboptimal and somewhat inefficient because, again, you know, you have to move a part here for a certain aspect of, of the, the process and then another part over here and then has to be assembled over here. You, you, get a, you, you, you do away with all of that. You have a, you have a design, you have the raw material, uh, and then you have a, a final finished part that, that leaves your shop. So I see this as being just like with, with the, an aircraft part becoming more efficient and more optimal. I, I see the supply chain also definitely streamlining and becoming more efficient. Actually, this takes us directly to a wrap-up question that I have for you. And it's something I like to ask all of our guests. Imagine the future with this, in this case, additive manufacturing, fully deployed, fully embraced. Tell us about that future and, and how we can see it shaping a more sustainable and resilient future for all of us. Well, imagine that you can manufacture and build and manifest any object 
or part or shape of any material that you can think of and put on a computer screen. I've spoken a lot about aerospace and that is my business. And that is, as I said, it's the tip of the spear of the adoption of additive manufacturing across all industries. But that's only one aspect. People are developing additive manufacturing, 3D printing for construction purposes and homes. They're 3D printing food. They're 3D printing uh, uh, human organs. Uh, things that, that to me blow my mind and I'm in this industry. And, and the thing that is, that is tying all of this together is the portability of data and, and having the, the data available wherever you are. That to me is incredibly interesting. And so when I think about a, a, a future where there are hundreds of millions of printers, billions of printers across the country, across the world, and the portability of data interacting with all of these printers. And even if it's a printer that maybe you don't have, but you know, someone else does, or there's, there's, there's you know, areas where if you need something in a certain material, you can go to a, a different location. To me, that's, that's incredibly exciting and, and profoundly will change uh, the way humanity lives and moves and eats and across all socioeconomic uh, backgrounds too, and across all nationalities. It's a very, very interesting future to think about in, in that you have the data anywhere you go, you can get what you want anywhere you go. There, there will still be a supply chain of, of raw material, but it, it simplifies the supply chain a, a, a tremendous, tremendous amount. And, and, and really, I think, I think benefits humanity across the board. So things can be designed anywhere, but then actually printed wherever they're needed. Yeah. Right. What, what a cool vision for the future. Brian Neff, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, Barbara. So let me leave you with this. When the Mars rovers, Curiosity and Perseverance were designed, it wasn't feasible for NASA to simulate the landing conditions in a lab. They actually used Siemens software to create the rovers' digital twins. They virtually designed the rovers, tested them, and verified that they would be mission ready. And that's what Brian has basically shared with us, the idea that with software and additive manufacturing, we can make anything we can see on a computer screen. Think about that. We can be more sustainable. We can innovate like never before. We can even be more prepared for a future crisis as challenging as the pandemic has been. In fact, a concept you're going to hear us continue to talk about at Siemens is our work developing a national strategic digital twin reserve so government leaders and manufacturers can proactively prepare for all types of future emergency events. You can learn about this and a lot more in our show notes, where you'll find Brian's TED Talk, an op-ed I wrote about the digital twin reserve, and more about why Siemens supports bold action to modernize American manufacturing. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or to the Siemens YouTube channel. And for show notes and more, go to Siemens.com slash optimist.